0: I'm to invite you again to turn with me in God's Word to Exodus chapter 15, Exodus chapter 15. Well, last week we considered especially the, the story in which we've seen how God again delivered his doubting people through that dry path through the Red Sea, and then through that same path as, the, as Pharaoh and the Egyptians tried to follow, how he destroyed them and how he delivered them. And the, towards the end of last week's sermon, we saw the initial response from uh, chapter fourteen, verses thirty-one. And we read, "Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Israel. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and His servant Moses." And this morning, we want to go on through uh, to the next chapter and see more of their response. More of how the Israelites uh, reacted and, and the way that they, especially here, how they praise God in this wonderful song. Now as we want to consider the song in this morning, it would be helpful, to, first of all, to ask ourselves, what things do we sing about? What kind of music, what kind of uh, music do we listen to? What kind of songs do we sing along with throughout, uh, throughout the day and throughout the week? Is this, first of all, music that glorifies God? Or is this music that praises people and and their achievements? Is it music about God's great acts of salvation? Or is it music in which people promote ungodly behavior? Which people say, this is what I rejoice in, especially the things that God has forbidden. It's very difficult for us to to grow in Christ's likeness If we listen and sing songs, which send us in completely the wrong direction. But thankfully, the opposite is also true. When we sing and we listen to music that was drawn from God's Word, we have, first of all, the Psalms, the songbook of the Bible, but also we have many beautiful and faithful hymns. And when we we listen and sing those songs, our our minds are filled with God's Word, and by God's grace, our hearts can be filled with, with God's Word. And through the music that we sing, God can comfort us. God can help us as we fight against sin, as we live in a broken world, in a world in which we experience so much pain and suffering. As we turn now to the song that we have here in Exodus 15, there are many different ways we can, if you look at commentaries, ways to analyze it, ways to approach it, but this morning I just want to go through it section by section. And as we go through these these different sections, we see quite quickly that we can divide it into two main pieces. First of all, beginning at verse 1 till the middle of verse 13, we see the Israelites looking back. And praising God for his deliverance, especially there at the Red Sea. And then in the second half of verse thirteen to verse eighteen, we see the Israelites looking forward. So this morning we want to uh, well, first of all, the theme is God's great deliverance results in great praise. And we want in the first point to see praise for God's past deliverance. And then secondly, praise for God's future blessing. And in our third thought, the culmination of this praise, and then especially as we uh, connect that to Revelation 15. So God's great deliverance results in great praise. We see, first of all, praise for God's past deliverance. And this song, it's a, it's a wonderful example to us of how we ought to praise God because so often when we, when we praise God, when we even look back at our lives and, and reflect on the ways in which God has helped, it's so easy for a little or even a lot of ourselves to enter into this praise. We say, let me tell you about what God has done, and it seems like it's more about us than about God. But here as we look at, at this song, first of all, it's remarkable there's not a single reference to Moses. Right, Moses was the leader of them. Moses had showed great courage and faith. Moses had stretched out the rod. Moses had led the people. And Moses is not mentioned at all in this song. There's also no reference made to the people in the sense that they were active in their deliverance or that they were somehow involved in the destruction of their enemies. Instead, as we, as we look at this song, and especially if we include uh, verse 21 in the Song of Miriam, that we have God mentioned by name 14 times. And there's another 38 references to him, and as we have all those uh, those pronouns, he, him, his, you, your. So in total, in in these uh, 21 verses, we have God referred to 52 times. So in this song of praise, the focus is on God. And certainly that also is instructive for us, that when we praise God, when we say we're going to praise God, Let's praise him. Let's have God in focus. As you look at the first five verses, we can note several things. Here we have Moses and the children of Israel as they are uh, as the children of Israel as they sing with them, or uh, perhaps more likely, this is a new song. So Moses would sing the line and they would repeat it after him in, in the refrain. And we we begin in verse one. I will sing to the Lord. And then in verse two. I will praise him. I will exalt him. And we see here what appreciation and delight and thankfulness Moses and the Israelites have. Their desire here in that moment is that God be lifted up. Their desire is to show God the thankfulness, the the joy that is there in their hearts. Have you ever experienced God's hand in your life? Certainly none of us. I expect has something as dramatic as the Israelites at the Red Sea, and yet perhaps you too, as you look back, you can see how God worked in your life. Maybe first of all, and maybe most importantly, in the way of salvation, has God changed your heart? Has God opened your eyes that you not only seen your sins, but that you've seen Christ as a great Savior? Maybe there's other ways as well as you look back and and God's providence as, as doors opened or doors, doors closed as, as God led you as you made certain decisions or or saved you in difficult situations. You could also apply this to the worship service. Maybe as you as you came to church and as you as you worship God, as you heard His word, that God spoke to you particularly. How did, how did you respond to those experiences? Did that lead you to sing? This is one of the reasons why we sing a number of psalters throughout the service. We, we begin by, by confessing our help in the Lord, and then we respond with a song. We read His law and we respond by singing. We, we pray and we give our gifts and we sing. We, we hear God's word and we respond by singing. We receive God's blessing at the end and we respond with, with Praise. That's the the whole focus even within the worship service, that God speaks to us, and we respond, especially by singing. Moses here, and the Israelites with them, he tells us why he sings to the Lord. He says, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. How has God triumphed? He tells us, the horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea, it's in connection with God's victory over the Egyptians and that, we, that we have this song. We have even some an unusual description of God in verse 3. We see there, the Lord is a man of war. Maybe not a picture that we have so often of God, that, that God is, is a man of war. Certainly not the picture that most people who profess to be Christians have in their minds. God is a God of love. God is a God who saves. Yet God is also a man of war, a God of anger and judgment against the wicked. We see this also throughout the New Testament, especially in Revelation. We have those graphic pictures even of Christ himself dressed in armor, riding on a horse, and and going into battle. So God is a God of war, God is a God who, who overthrows the enemies. Well, second reason why Moses and the children of Israel sing to the Lord here in this passage is because of this relationship between God and man, between God and the people he has redeemed. We see that especially in verse 2, where they sing, The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Now, for the Israelites, that was certainly true, especially in a physical way. They were terrified when those Egyptians came with the horses and their chariots. They, They thought for sure they were going to die there in the wilderness. They see no way out. And God came. God saved them. God became their salvation. This is also true spiritually, isn't it? If God works in our hearts and we begin to see, I can't save myself. And he shows us Christ who has accomplished everything, who has won the battle. Then we too can sing, the Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Isn't that amazing that, that we as, as a people even in the New Testament, we can take this song, and, and there's so many connections that we can apply it to, to, to our lives today. the second half of verse 2, they continue singing. They say, He is my God, and I will praise Him. My Father's God, and I will exalt Him. Not only is there this personal relationship that they have with God, but they see God's faithfulness through us all. And verse 3 adds to that, the Lord, or Jehovah, is His name. Here as they sing of God's deliverance at, at the shore there, as they see the Egyptians scattered there, they recognize and they acknowledge that this God who saved them, this is a God who, who had made promises to their ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This God had declared, I will deliver your, your descendants. I will bring them out of bondage. I will bring them to the promised land. And now God has done that. God has kept His promises. Well, So far as we look at the opening verses, we see that the song is all about God and His character. As we go on now, uh, beginning at verse 6, we see a contrast between God and the enemy and also a contrast then between God and then the so-called gods of this world. Looking at verses uh, 6 to 13, we see first of all what God does, then Pharaoh, and then back to God. But we'll begin at verse 9 with what Pharaoh says. And uh, verse 9, we read, The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil, my desire will be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. Four times here we have, I will, I will, I will, I will. We see the the confidence, the self-assured nature here of of Pharaoh and his forces. We also see the, the murderous intention here. Pharaoh and his army, they're not coming out to the wilderness to have a picnic. They came there to destroy them. They came there to kill. They came there to take these Israelites, to drag them back to Egypt, and to force them to work as slaves. They had said, My hand shall destroy them. But going back to verse 6 and now seeing what God is doing, we see a different hand there. Verses 6 and 7 we read, Your right hand, O God, has become glorious in power your right hand o lord has dashed the enemy in pieces and in the greatness of your excellence you have overthrown those who rose against you you sent forth your wrath it consumed them like stubble so we see god's great victory there we see how god wiped out an entire army now now children was that hard for god did, that, did it take a lot of effort for God to destroy this, this, this mighty army? The answer to that is no. In verse 8, we have a picture there for us. It says, and with the blast of your nostrils. You know, the picture here is that God simply He breathes out. In that breath, that, that sea was divided. That breath, they're referring to that, that great, or that, that east wind that, was, that we can read of in Uh, Chapter 14, verse 21. So with the blast of your nostrils, God did this giant miracle. The waters were gathered together, the floods stood upright like a heap, and the depths congealed. It means they became firm in the heart of the sea. And after God divided the waters with a breath, read in verse uh, chapter fifteen, verse ten, you blew with your wind, the sea covered them, they sank like lead in the mighty waters. As we think of these these references here to to the breath of God, it's going to make us think back also to creation. And there again, we see the power of God. God, when he was creating the whole universe out of nothing, it didn't take great effort for him. He simply spoke and things they came into being in a moment. Here we see God breathed out the waters divided Again, the breath and the waters came crashing down and destroyed Pharaoh and his army. This contrast here is not only between Pharaoh and his army, but also between Jehovah and anything else that may be worshipped as God. We see that in verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praise, doing wonders. Certainly if you think of the Egyptians, they had a multitude of gods. They served many images. But their gods didn't help them. Pharaoh himself said that he was a god, that he, would, that he had come from wherever their gods exist. And we see that Pharaoh too, he, he didn't stand a chance against the God of heaven and earth. Verses 12 and 13 you stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. We have this description here of God at work in the Old Testament. God delivering his people. God destroying his enemies through the simple means as his breath. Shouldn't this give us great confidence in the ability of God to help us and deliver us today. None of us at this moment are, for, are facing a, an enemy, de, an army bent in our destruction. We do have different challenges, don't we? Some of us are going through health trials. Some of us deal with, with struggles and brokenness in the family. All of us here, we struggle with sin. We struggle with the attacks of Satan. But if, if we have this God as our God, God who can do such miracles then, He's still on the throne today. Can we not be confident that our God can help us? Our God can uphold us. God can help us overcome whatever the challenges are that lie before us. With God, there are no limits to what He is able to accomplish. It's also a second way that we can apply this, this first section. We often say that when it comes to prayer, we, we, we say it's so important to be specific. To be specific as we praise God. To be specific in our confession of sin. To be specific in our thanksgivings and as we go to God with our needs. But the same is true as we praise God. When we praise God, we shouldn't just have some, some general things and say, God, you are, you are, you are great and mighty. But here in this, in this song that we see here sung with Moses leading and the Israelites, We see how specific they are. They praise God that He is glorious in power. And they say, this is how we know that. They praise God because He's he's fearful in judgment. And then they they describe God's judgment on the wicked. They confess that there is no other God like Him. And then they describe the evidence for that. And this too is what we should do when when we praise God. Don't just have general general things that we say or that we sing. Let's get specific. Let's look for things around us. Let's look in our own lives. Let's look in God's Word and go to Him in praise and say, God, you are amazing because of this or because of that. Well, So far we've seen how the Israelites give great praise for God's past deliverance. Let's go on to our second point and consider the praise for God's future blessings. I mentioned in the introduction verses one to the first half of 13, look back and now verses 13, the second half to verse 18, look forward. And really verse 13 we see the, the uh, transition there. It says, "You and your, you and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. So looking back, God leading them forth, leading them to the Red Sea, you have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. And here here's, it's stuck in the present tense, but it's looking forward. How God is, has brought them out of Egypt, God brought them this far, and He's going to bring them to the place where God's going to dwell with them. And they, they have confidence here. They look back, they see what God has done, and because of that, they're sure, they're certain God will continue to do that and, 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 and fulfill the rest of His promises. And one reason for this confidence is the the impact that the news of Pharaoh's destruction in the Red Sea is going to have on the Canaanites. We see that described in verses 14 to 16. We Read there, The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Till so your people pass over, O Lord. Till the people pass over whom you have purchased. And do you not know, again here see the wisdom of God. God and destroying Pharaoh and his army in this, this great miracle. He's sending a message to the Canaanites who the Israelites are going to face in the future. God is already, through this deliverance, preparing the conquest of the promised land. In in these verses, we have four distinct groups mentioned. And um, three of them we can trace later in in the coming books and see how how this news affected them. First of all, we have Edom. And Edom was related to the Israelites through Esau, Jacob's brother. And in Deuteronomy 2, verse 4, as they, uh, this is now the first generation had died in the wilderness and they're traveling toward the promised land. And Moses commanded the people and saying, you are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Then we have Moab who was mentioned. Moab was, again, related to the Israelites through Lot, Abraham's nephew. And in Numbers 22, we have the whole account of uh, Balak hiring Balaam to to curse the, the Israelites. And in Numbers 22, we read, Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. Again, part of the context there was that they had defeated the, the Amorites, but again, this news of God's deliverance would have reached them. But perhaps the most revealing passage is what Rahab, a Canaanite, says to the two spies 40 years later in Jericho. And Rahab had taken these two spies. She had hidden them on the roof, and she says to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of Jordan. As it goes on, it says, And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did, neither did there remain any more courage, courage in anyone because of you, for the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Especially in, this, in that last testimony there of Rahab, the people were trembling, the people were in fear as they saw how the God of the Israelites... He was God. And how this God could do great miracles through the Red Sea and how God already given them victory over the, the Amorites on the other side of Jordan. Now, this fear does not mean there would be, not, would be no opposition. As we keep reading we, and through Joshua, we know there's going to be challenges there. There's going to be the Israelites have to fight hard and, and uh, to take the land. And yet here, as they praise God for his deliverance, They show that they understand that what God has done is going to help them. God is already making the way smoother and easier for them. Well, this forward-looking praise of the children of Israel is broader than, than the fear of the enemies. They also praise God as they anticipate the fulfillment of God's promises. We see that in verses 16 through 18. Fear and dread will fall on them. By the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. In the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. These Israelites knew that God had promised the land of Canaan to them. And now as God brings them out of Egypt, as God is bringing them towards the land, they know and they believe that God will bring them all the way there. They look forward with anticipation. As God brings them to the promised land and plants them, we might say that God establishes them there. They're going to take root there. They're going to live there. This is not not just going to be their land. This was special for them because this was the land in which God had said He's going to dwell with them. You may have been thinking of of, uh, different passages. You might have been thinking back to uh, Genesis 15. We hope to study that this Wednesday in our Bible study. And there God spoke with Abraham there in the promised land. God had made his covenant with them. Or Israel might have been thinking of how God appeared to Jacob in Bethel. And there Jacob says in Genesis 28, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. He says, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So the Israelites, as as they are traveling there, as they're going to the land which was promised to them, they go there especially desiring and looking forward to being there. Also, because God had said He's going to be there with them. This was this was the land that, that God had said, "I will, uh, the Verses of verse seventeen, uh, that this is your dwelling, the sanctuary which your hands have established. As we apply this to ourselves, we see something similar to this. Uh, we saw something similar in our prayer meeting on Wednesday, and a meditation from Pastor John Piper on Romans eight, verse thirty-two. And there, Pastor Piper said, uh, referring uh, to Romans uh, Romans 8.32, as I said, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? It's looking back at what God has done, and that giving us confidence that God will continue to, to be with us and give us what we need, that God will continue to bless us. Let's go on now to our third thoughts and, and see, move from the first song in the Bible to the last recorded song in the Bible. And we want to see there this, the culmination of this praise. Let's look at Revelations chapter, Revelation 15. Well, here as we, as we turn to uh, this chapter in his in this book, we, it's, it's good to remind ourselves of, of what we find in, throughout this book. Among other things, God's especially revealing to the Apostle John uh, God's judgment, God's punishment on the wicked, how God is going to overcome Satan and, and his evil forces in the end, how God will judge the world and God will bring his people to, to great and ultimate victory. In chapters 4 through 8, we have the seven seals of God's scroll being opened there. In chapters 8 through 11, we have the seven trumpets that are blowing. And here now, beginning at chapter 15, we have the seven bowls of God's wrath being poured out. But here in chapter 15, in the midst of this announcement of judgment, in the middle of of God's wrath and, and punishment being poured out, John sees those who have the victory over the beast He's referring to Satan. And they're there in heaven and they're singing a song. And verse 3 tells us that they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, referring to Christ. Next, 15 is saying a wonderful song. But also, as Elder Alex Leung helpfully pointed out last week, uh, that the destruction of Pharaoh in the Red Sea is a picture of the destruction of Satan. And the deliverance of God's people through the Red Sea and, and bringing them through to the other side is a picture of God's deliverance and protection of his people and bringing them to glory. If you could say the physical deliverance through the Red Sea is a type of the spiritual deliverance that we receive through faith in Christ. Now, as as you look at the words here in this this song in Revelation 15, almost every phrase is a a direct quotation from the Old Testament. But surprisingly, there's no direct quotations from Exodus chapter 15. And yet, while there's no direct quotations, we see all the same ideas in this song as we saw in, in Exodus 15. Here we have these victorious saints. They praise God and they say... Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Now the greatest and most marvelous work of God that these saints uh, could look back to was God's provision of a way by which sinners like us and sinners like them could be saved. How God made a way through which enemies of God can become God's own children. We all know how God did that, don't we? Through Jesus Christ. He who is called, on one hand, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yet at the same time, he's called a lamb. Especially this, this picture of a lamb that we see, uh, a lamb that allows himself to be falsely accused and condemned. A lamb that was cruelly beaten and mocked. A lamb that was sacrificed as, as Jesus was nailed to the cross. Even more horrible than that slow, painful death was the experience of Christ, of God's wrath, God's judgment. If you think back to Pharaoh and the forces, they experienced God's wrath in that moment of destruction when the waters came crashing down on them. To think of the the judgment that is being portrayed throughout Revelation and here in in this wrath, these bowls of wrath that are going to be poured out on on the wicked. On the cross, it was Jesus Christ who took that bowl of God's wrath and in the place of his people, he experienced the, the anger and the justice of God So it was especially Christ. This was, we could say, the greatest and most marvelous work of God. What reason we have to praise Him for that. But here in the context of Revelation 5, it's not so much the death and resurrection of Christ that's in focus. Rather, the focus here is God's judgment against the wicked. We see this also in verse 4. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy... For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. Believers can rejoice in the forgiveness of sin. Maybe you can can compare that to Israel leaving Egypt. There's a deliverance from bondage, a deliverance from slavery. But as long as Israel was living under the threats of Pharaoh and his army there's there's that there's that incomplete joy and happiness there. But in this glimpse that we get here into heaven we see the saints in heaven they see God's judgment being revealed. And they know that that through these judgments that are coming God's uh, the the wicked will ultimately be ultimately be punished and destroyed. And this judgment that is coming, God is going to right all wrongs. God's going to take care of Satan. God's going to take care of, of all those who oppose Christ and oppose His people. And God is going to, to save His people through this judgment, through this wrath. And all God's people will be forever with Christ in heaven, enjoying that, that fellowship and communion with Christ. If you think of Israelites, they left Egypt, salvation, they're delivered through the Red Sea, their, their enemies are being cut off, and they're being brought to the promised land, that land of, of milk and honey, that land in which God is going to dwell with them. We see, they can see the same progression spiritually, God saves his people, God destroys Satan and evil, and God brings his people to the promised land, to heaven, to the new Jerusalem. So in many ways, this this picture that we see in the Old Testament, it's it's showing us a spiritual reality, the spiritual uh, anticipation that we can have of God's ultimate deliverance through Christ and then through the destruction of the wicked. Well, congregation, today we have looked at this this wonderful song of praise and deliverance. It's my prayer that you too will be able to sing this song from your heart. You too can say that the Lord is your strength, that He is your salvation. The only way we can truly sing these these songs, both in in Exodus and in Revelation, is by being united to Christ. So when our sins are forgiven, when we know that we have been made right with God, that we too can praise God from out of our hearts, that we too can can have this, this joy and this praise for God. In Christ, we can find a sure and complete salvation. In Christ, we can find strength for today and hope for tomorrow. In Christ, we'll find a treasure far beyond anything that this world has to offer. We not all go to Him in this morning. We not all go to Him, hear His calls and His word, take hold of His promises and His invitations, and say, Lord, here I am. Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Equip me. May all go to God and may God bless us as we worship him, as we look to him. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father who is in heaven, Lord, we come to you and Lord, we praise you for the great salvation that you have accomplished. That we see your people in the Old Testament praising you for your deliverance through the Red Sea. Lord, help us that we too would would praise you for an even greater deliverance, a deliverance that came at such a great cost. help us to look to Christ and that when we know that our sins are forgiven, that we would to take up this song, this song of Moses, that we would worship you, worship you for all that you have done and praise you as we look forward expectantly for, for you to do what you have promised to do. We thank you for your word and for this instruction that we can draw from, from this song. And we pray that you'd help each one of us in this day. Even now as we respond to your word by singing. That you'd help us to sing from our hearts. To sing with thankfulness and joy. That we may sing to your honor and to your glory also pray for your blessing on the uh, catechism and Sunday school classes that also through this you would be equipping us and and teaching us and helping us to grow spiritually. We pray that you'd help the teachers and and bless them and that even through this we may rejoice as a church to see spiritual life and spiritual growth. Lord, please forgive us our sins. Forgive us for so often being so lukewarm in our praise and our confession. Lord, help us to praise you with our whole hearts. We pray all these things for Christ's sake alone. Amen.